2: Before we start today's episode, I wanted to let you know this show works with an amazing company called The Midroll, and they help service advertisements for you, the listener. I just wanted to keep rolling, so that is what The Midroll helps me do. I want to be able to show you awesome stuff, stuff that is relevant to you, what it is you listen to, what it is you like. We're able to take that information and make it better as far as the ads are concerned. Just take a five-minute survey. Go to podsurvey.com. Backslash words. You'll be entered to win a hundred dollar Amazon gift card. Just go ahead and do that. There's something else I wanted to tell you. Now it is brought to you by QuickBooks Self Employed. If you own your own business, this is the best thing you can do for yourself. You, you make money. You get ten ninety nine, and then it's the worst thing of all time because you're like, I don't know how much I owe to the government. I don't know how much I owe in taxes. It's terrible. This takes all the guesswork out of that. Go to tryselfemployed.com slash words and you can get 50% off of this thing. It's incredible. I use it and a lot of my other friends use it. Okay, 50% off. Now, here's the real start of the show. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another, however you want to define it, episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I am your ever-present host, Ray Harkins, coming at you with a spectacularly awesome conversation with a person involved in independent music. The guest this week is Mr. Alan Day from the band Four Years Strong. This was actually a listener suggestion that I have him on. And I was like, you know what? That's a really good idea. If you are listening to the show and you have ideas on people that you want to appear, email me. Tweet at me. I'm pretty easy to reach. So just visit 100 Words Podcast. You can see there's Twitter feed there. However you want to interact. Throw me some ideas because I love having those ideas. And honestly, stay away from like Henry Rollins, Ian McKay. Like Those are people I'm just not going to interview. They're great people. But they've been interviewed four hundred thousand times,
1: and I I like to dig maybe
2: just beneath the surface, maybe people that you know have been interviewed a million times over, but haven't been interviewed like this. But anyways, let's talk some business pleasantries. Let's talk some some things that have been in my mind recently, and then we will dive into the show with Alan. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate that. I realize this episode may be uh, popular. Alan and his band are quite popular, so. Dive into the archives. I got like 160 more of these. I encourage that. Visit the website 100 Words Podcast. Email the show 100WordsPodcast at gmail.com. Interact with the advertisers that are on this show because we have some cool offers that are floating around at the beginning of the show. You'll hear some in the middle. I really encourage you to do that. There's a reason that these companies are advertising on the show. They feel that speaking to you is valuable. And honestly, I wouldn't chill for something. That I didn't think was cool. Like, that's the beauty of the podcasting medium is, you know, the buck stops here. I make the decisions and I say, yeah, this stuff is cool. You should be paying attention to it, subscribing to it, doing it, whatever it is I'm encouraging you to do. There's a reason that this is happening. Recently, myself, I've been feeling weirdly isolated. I am a very Extroverted, outgoing creature. And uh, I've just been really busy trying to help my wife in the school year write. She's a school teacher. And so I'm like helping her grade papers, helping her just, you know, be in an okay mental state because by the time June rolls around, you're done. You're exhausted. I mean, you remember when you went to school, you remember how you felt as a student. Well, teachers feel the exact same way. Like that. If that is something that's blowing your mind, they're human as well. And they feel the fatigue and tiredness. My wife has been having a lot of struggles with that, so I've just been trying to, you know, take care of a bunch of stuff. So because of that, I don't see many people. And I work from home, so I don't see many people there besides my dog. And, you know, sometimes it's weird because you feel uh, that isolation and you feel like you want to get out in the world and then, uh, you know, you exchange a few tweets with people and, you know, post a few messages on Facebook and what have you. And um, it, it mimics it to a certain extent, but um, you don't feel that nice connection that you have with a person when you just, you know, sit down for an hour, talk with them over coffee, whatever. It, you just feel weird sometimes when you don't have that on a semi-regular basis. Anyways, I was able to pull myself out of it, had dinner with a bunch of my friends, and it was it was great. It just gave me that nice injection of like, Yes, people care about me. Like I am a part of of this community, as it were. So, thank you to my friends, the Gentlemen Supper Club, for bringing me out of that little uh, little mental funk. Recently, I've been getting a lot of feedback from uh, a lot of people that I've just been discovering the show via different mediums, via YouTube, past shows, and the word kind of spreading organically. So, I don't know. I feel like it's like hitting a nice little groundswell. The show numbers keep rising, and it's just it's great. If you're a regular listener, I appreciate that. And if you are a first time listener, I appreciate you as well. Pretty much on the same level. Alan Day, like I said, he's from the band Four Year Strong, plays guitar, does some vocals. Yeah, I, I mean, as I admit to Alan at the beginning of the episode, I'm, I'm not a huge Four Year Strong fan. Like, I, I'm not a devotee. And uh, I kind of lumped them in as a sort of, uh, you know, be right, set your goals when they were originally coming out. Through perseverance and the fact that they are the real deal. I've listened to them more and I'm like, okay, I see what they're doing. And uh, I see what they're trying to accomplish. I had a great discussion with Alan where I could tell he liked the fact that he was speaking to a person who just wanted to kind of get to know him as opposed to like, oh man, that guitar riff on that one song is so sweet. Because, um, you know, sometimes people that that interview kind of, and I, I include myself in this, sometimes you get a little in your own headspace when you are a personal fan of what it is that's happening. Yeah, you kind of get, you know, you lose the forest from the trees. You're so concerned about these really specific things. And sometimes you forget the general questions. So anyways, without further ado, here's my discussion with Alan. And I will talk to you after the end of the episode. with you and the band and stuff like that so I'll be I'll be brutally honest with you and the fact that um uh, you guys kind of hit at a time where I, I, I didn't pay attention to you guys. I was aware of your existence. I was aware of your popularity. I was aware of everything you were doing because you were doing with a lot of friends, bands. And but it was one of those things where I kind of put you guys in a corner yeah. of like, oh, yeah, well, we'll set your goals exists already. So for your strong, you know, it's it's just a B-rate version of that, you know, which, uh you know, I mean, obviously. yeah Yeah, I get
0: it. Which we got from a lot of people.
2: Like, towards, you know, whatever, the beginning of the band, is it one of those things where you felt like you were just constantly trying to, I guess, not even prove yourself to the, you know, fans at large, but just kind of be like hey, we're more than just that sort of, you know, (laughs) stereotyped, put-in-a-corner band.
0: I don't necessarily feel like we were put-in-a-corner. Like, at the time, we were very aware of the similarities between us and other bands that were coming out. But, like you said, you weren't all that familiar with us, and you kind of just, like, wrote us off as that. And I think a lot of people did. Because at the time, you know, when we were first starting out, we released... Granted, when we first started out, I was a freshman in high school, so... This or this this conversation is of us starting out is more so us kind of coming off the ground, not necessarily just starting out, because we were putting in our hours for four or five years before anyone yep. really knew our name. At that point, when we released our first record, Rise or Die Trying, and we were getting compared to Set Your Goals, I think it was a little bit of both, because we have since you know become really really great friends with Set Your Goals. It wasn't us just being compared to them; it was them being compared to us too. And it was just like this weird thing. And at the time, we felt like, this is ridiculous. We don't sound anything like this band. And we know that they felt the same way. Like, what? We don't sound anything like this band from the East right. Coast, For years Strong. And when you really listen to us back-to-back, back, it wasn't the same, but was the same as the ideals and the and the background in which we came from and, and the energy. And I think that's what people yeah. were comparing. On top of that, people need something to talk shit about. So they picked that, I guess.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, the, no, honestly, that's true. Because I definitely think that sometimes, uh, not sometimes, I think a lot of the time, the narrative that gets obviously put forward from a band uh, can sometimes, like you said, sort of outweigh the actuality of like, well, sonically we didn't, we weren't, yeah, I guess we were cut from the same cloth, but we didn't have the same stylings, you know? So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and we definitely had different signature things. Like they, I mean, we both came from like a hardcore background. Um, and I think we had different, different, uh, sides of that, that we showcased in our music. Like at the time, honestly, I wasn't listening to, a lot of like minor threat and (laughs) like stuff like that i was listening to like fucking hate breed and like these like bro versions of hardcore that was just like heavy and kind of arrogant and ignorant (laughs) music that was interesting to me at the time and and i heard poison the well uh opposite of december and i heard the double kick drum on that and it like changed our lives we were like we need to fucking go crazy with this and have fucking (laughs) breakdowns and pop punk music i mean it was stupid but at the time no one else was doing it so we thought
2: <laughs> <You're> right <laughs> well it's it, it's true because i definitely think there is uh, for lack of a better term like a, a more uh i guess you know theatrical large there was no um subtlety in what you guys were obviously doing, especially yeah. on the first record, as you grew as a band, of course, that that creeped in. But you saying that, those those bands that were obviously you were listening to at the time and like, yeah, there's no obviously there's there's no subtlety within uh Jamie Josta's lyrics and or right. break breakdown approach. So it makes yeah. sense that you guys were like, All right, well yeah, how can we kind of uh you know ramp this up to eleven, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, you know, backing up, like you you yourself, were you kinda of born and raised in the 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 Woosta mass area?
0: Oh yeah. All of us in the band were. Uh, we okay. all grew up it's funny, Jake, the drummer, and I grew up literally down the street, probably 20 houses apart, and so, and we knew. But the thing is, we knew each other. We went to the same elementary school, so we knew each other from like third grade, and have had bands since then. But Dan and Joe also lived 20 houses away from each other in the same neighborhood, but didn't know each other until pretty much around the time Joe joined the band, which was when I was a either a uh, sophomore or a junior in high school.
2: That, that's really strange because that doesn't happen. <laughs> no, I
0: mean, the thing is, Worcester is so big and there's so many schools right. that Joe happened to go to a private school so he w- didn't go to the same school as Dan, which normally he would have. You know, they so they didn't know each other growing up.
2: That's funny. Because, yeah, I mean, my only experience with, with uh, Worcester is the uh, yeah, I, I for a long time I worked at that uh, metal label Century Media Records. So I would always get sent out to, the, of course, the New England Metal and Hardcore Metal and Hardcore Fest.
0: That's, that's coming up soon. It now. is. It
2: yeah. is. It's just a weird impression of the city just to, like, descend on that weekend. Because it seems like a completely dead area in that area. Um, well, I was going obviously-
0: to say that... It's definitely a bad impression of the city just coming to the Palladium at all, <laughs> totally. let alone on that weekend because, I mean, it really is. It's it's a dead – there's nothing around. Worcester is a funny city because even though the Palladium is almost smack dab in the middle of downtown Worcester, you'd think that would be the booming area of the city, but it's not. The downtown area is the one of the worst parts of the city. There's so many amazing parts of the city. There's Shrewsbury Street, which is just filled with amazing restaurants. Worcester is just like next level on food. They have tons of good food. Mm-hmm. Touring bands must hate Worcester because the totally. only thing they know is the Palladium. And they come through there and it's, there's nothing. There's no food. There's nothing to do.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that's very symptomatic, like you said, of of touring bands like uh, you know, I, I myself played at bands for years and toured and like you don't have a time to reflect on uh, you know, the, the excitement that you experience when you're in a new city and then you get to the venue and you're just kinda like, Oh, this isn't a really shitty area of town or whatever. Like yeah. you never you don't have the time to like look at the cool stuff that everybody else does when they travel there for, you know, tourist reasons.
0: <laughs> yeah. Not that anyone's coming to Worcester as a tourist, I guess, but <laughs>
2: True, true. So, so what, was, what was your experience like being raised in that, uh, you know, in, in that town, in that city? Like, what what was your, I guess, your, your family structure like? Do you have brothers and sisters? And what was your uh, family doing for a job as you were being raised?
0: I got two sisters, parents still together after however many years. Still live in the house I grew up in. And my dad still has the same job from when I was growing up. My mom's kind of been from job to job more so because she gets bored not because she like loses jobs she's right. like she just likes doing a little bit of this a little bit of that and sure. uh, uh she taught preschool for a while she does all kinds of stuff but growing up i personally loved growing up in worcester don't, don't have anything to compare it to obviously because i didn't yep. have the i didn't move around a lot of, a lot of kids growing up whether it's you know their parents moving around for job purposes or whatever you know moved around a lot as kids but not me i grew up here yeah. but honestly i loved it because if i had moved around a lot you know i wouldn't be where i am today that's for sure because i wouldn't have you know met the people i did when i did and started a band and whatever but also growing up in worcester obviously made the band because i met the people that also lived in worcester right. but more so than that, a great place to have a band. It's big enough where there was lots of local bands, you know? Mm-hmm. So getting to play so many shows with so many different bands every weekend was like what made our
2: band yeah you had you had the uh, ability to cut your teeth in in a local scene before anything else happened for you guys that's a really important point because i think a lot of people you know especially when you see some of the you know larger bands in this particular scene now they like live all over the place and a lot of bands are aren't even identifiable by where they live you know it's like you couldn't tell where they lived based on their sound or whatever but yeah no that's a really important point where it's like yeah you gotta you gotta suck for a lot of years
1: which (laughs) we definitely (laughs) did (laughs) totally (laughs) and
0: and the problem with us specifically i'm sure other people are in the same situation but you can hear how bad we sucked because we've had the same band name since i was a freshman in high school (laughs) like we've never changed the name like through different like trying to find our sound and different members like for some reason we never changed the name right so it's all four years strong so if you really dig deep you can find some some demos from like 2003 that were just for the most part i won't say they are necessarily bad but they definitely don't sound like four strong <laughs> especially the four strong that people know you know
2: totally well and i'm sure too it's obviously it's reflective of the time in which you were creating the music it's like you know you're were, you're were not only figuring out how to play your instruments but then figuring out like what bands you wanted to rip off? Yeah, exactly. Just because that's, that's what you did when you were <laughs> when you were in high school. <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: I, I guess you would. You know, hearing the way that you described your your childhood, I I would kind of uh, paint it as a very you know kind of suburban and sort of you know I guess idyllic childhood from that perspective. So you, you mentioned your father had the same job. What was he uh, What was he doing?
0: I'm kind of lying when I said he had the same job when I was really really young, and I don't even remember it. Right. He owned a uh, trucking company called the Day Brothers. Um, and it was him first. Originally, it was his father, and then it was him and his brother that oh, owned okay. it. To be honest, I don't know one hundred percent what they did. Like I said, I was so young at the time. Of course, yeah. Um, but you know, then for as long as I can remember, he's been a parts manager at a Chevy dealership for, in uh, Springfield. So he, he commutes an hour and ten minutes each way every day for twenty-five years.
2: Very working class. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean that—that's the impression I get of that city as well. Even though obviously it's, uh, you know, suburban in nature, it, that there's a lot of people that you know do things with their hands to make money. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. This is me placing assumptions on you, but just kind of you know looking, uh, looking at you as as a person and kind of you know the way that you display yourself. You seem like a very sort of uh, active outdoorsy dude. <sighs> Uh, Is that reflective of kind of who you were uh, as a kid as well, as far as like, you know, were you you playing a lot of sports and kind of, you know, running around being crazy or were you more of an indoor kid?
0: Uh, I was definitely outdoors and crazy, but not sports like I didn't play sports at all growing up. I played one season Mm -hmm. of soccer but more so. I'm assuming because my parents are like, All right, we gotta get this kid on a fucking team right. of some kind. <laughs> make some friends. I don't know, get him out of my fucking house. I uh that's the only sport I've ever played and it was well, I rode crew in high school, but that doesn't really like seem like playing a sport to me.
2: I mean that that's a th- there's a team involved in that. It's just not yeah. that
0: Yeah, it's just not a classic uh
2: Right. The sport. the classic American sport, right, right.
0: Yeah. And you know what, I didn't even row crew for all that long either. I did it for like a season or two. Yeah, I didn't play a whole lot of sports. I was always the more the creative type, and like using my imagination, and pretending I was in a rock and roll band in front of a mirror, and right. going outside after watching Jurassic Park and pretending to uh, dig up the street to find dinosaur bones.
1: <laughs> right, right.
0: You know, I I wasn't the sports type in in that sense. Um, sure, sure. I was always just doing whatever the fuck I felt like, really. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. Your your sisters were they older or where did you land in the, the the structure of the family? Yeah, I'm
0: I'm the baby. I got two older sisters.
2: See, so yeah, um, but I, we're all
0: fairly close in age. Like right now I'm 27 uh one is i think 29 and one's 30.
2: oh yeah yeah they yeah your your parents uh were focused on having three kids.
0: (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) Um, which was nice i mean you know we hated each other growing up obviously as most siblings do mm -hmm. but and i i remember still my parents always saying like you gotta hate each other now but just you just wait one day you're gonna be really close and you're gonna love each other, and you're gonna hang out. Like, and it's true, we do.
2: Right. I love. I love that they were like trying to share that perspective, probably in the middle of some really tense situations with you and your siblings.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Just, so it's you know, and it's funny. I have very vivid memories of me and my sisters getting into these ridiculous fights when we were young. I mean, stupid. You know, I don- couldn't rem- remember what it would be about, but we would be so mad at each other. We'd hate each other. Then we would get in trouble and get sent to our bedrooms. But in the way that our house was set up, all the bedroom doors were like kind of next to and across from each other. Mm -hmm. And we thought that it was okay if we kept our feet in our bedroom and then we would bring toys out into the hallway and all play together. So it was like this weird thing where we were so mad at each other. But when we were all on the same page and all in trouble, it like canceled it out. And now we like each other and are playing again.
2: Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning.
0: We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like.
2: Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL.
0: Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app.
2: You you built the sense of camaraderie by the fact like, uh, well, we're all in this situation together. I guess let's yeah. make the best of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, for
2: sure. And so, uh, so like you said, you 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 know, you were very uh, creative. Like, were you um, you know, were you interested in kind of you know uh, art, or what? Like, did you find yourself like getting into video games? Like, where did you try to sort of harness your creativity, or was it simply you know role playing movies that you saw?
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know what, it was a vast majority of role playing movies I saw. That's so good. Um, but did not play video games at all. We never had video game systems in the house growing up. Uh, when I was really good, we actually rented Nintendo 64 a few times from a place down the street that rented out right. Nintendo 64, which was the fucking best thing in the world right. at the time. Cause it was, I was a young teen, you know, where video games were very popular and new for the most part, I guess. I mean, not really cause fucking Atari, was, right. but you know, it was, well, it was new but, to you. Yeah, it was very new to me. <laughs> and, I played Mario Kart all day because it was so easy as a a novice video gamer. You know, I couldn't get into the real intense games. I just... Mario Kart was easy
2: was and so was that was that a uh a, a I guess a decision on your parents part that they were uh you know trying to en- encourage the fact that you guys should be whatever playing with one another so like the less sort of distractions uh because I mean it's, that that seems like a very specific thing to say like no video games in the house besides we rent it occasionally
0: yeah no I, I'm sure it was I haven't I guess I never really asked them if it was a right if it was a uh conscious decision but it had to have been because you're right they were very common at the time and all the kids at school had them they had to have been doing on purpose because i'm sure i complained all the time and told them (laughs) all the time how all of my friends have video games right but i'm definitely glad at this point that that's the way it was because i know people that are my age that still waste all of their time playing video games and that's just not a part of my life yeah, Not that I don't waste time doing other things, because I do.
2: Well, yeah, every, <laughs> every, everyone has their release, but there yeah, definitely comes to a, a point where you have to draw that line in the sand where it's like, okay, do I play eight hours of Grand Theft Auto or whatever video <laughs> game is part of the pop culture? Or yeah. like, can I be productive elsewhere?
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'd like to think that um, not playing video games growing up has made me more productive, but I don't think that's true. It's just made me find ways to be more creative in my time-wasting skills.
2: Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So that, as you started to kind of you know uh, develop your identity in junior high and high school, you know, like you mentioned, four Year strong started basically in your, your freshman year. Is that kind of when yeah, you started? Yeah, two thousand one. Um. For all intent and purposes, like four Year strong is like the only band you've really been in, correct? Or is that like, like no? You said, that's they're... not true. I was okay. in
0: a band before that called the Shrimp Shack Shooters.
2: That is by far one of the best. <laughs> Uh, for, well, here, let me see if I can guess what you guys sounded like just based on the name alone. Okay. Um, so this would probably be like late 90s, I would say, that you you were doing this? Yeah. Well, okay.
0: technically, we were still a band in 2001 when 4 Years Strong started, but we oh, okay. quickly ended when I think two members from Shroom Share Shooters were in 4 Years Strong okay. and the other members were not. And I think there was a little bit of weirdness there, you know, oh, at the time.
2: Yeah. Of course, of course. Anytime you start to see your friends do something else where you're just like, dude, what, what's up with that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. So you guys might have sounded like, I mean, if you're from Southern California, like where I'm from, you uh, undoubtedly would have had ska in the uh, the sonics of what you were doing. But
0: Oh, and you know we did.
2: Okay. I just I, I wanted to make sure that Only that, a taste
0: though, no horns. Right. No horns, just a little just a little taste here and there. Right,
2: right. Maybe maybe uh I would maybe compare it to like suicide machines in a way where it's like you had Scott Parts but you were still maybe trying to be right, aggressive. But we
0: weren't nearly as cool as a suicide machine.
2: Right. Or <laughs> as course. good of course, of course. Okay, cool. Well, I I really appreciate you sharing that band name because I, I to me it always is sad when I I I kind of you know interview a person and they don't have like that sort of first you know really really funny band name experience because I think that's just like that's like character building in a way.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: So you guys, so that that was technically your first band. So you like what, what was like your first show? Was that in like elementary school?
0: It might have been in middle, like in seventh grade. Okay, uh, middle school. So. It was at a outdoor concert event in this town called Paxton, Mass, which was um, just a town over from Worcester, a bit more rural of an area. And it was just called the Paxton Summer Jam. And it was just, a you know, one of those build a stage like <laughs> on wheels that just showed up into a park. And it was all just like it was like a town thing. It wasn't like a cool thing at all it was like it wasn't it wasn't a fest (laughs) no not at all it was like literally one stage a bunch of local bands maybe a cotton candy machine and you know it was just an outdoor like family event in the town of paxton and yeah we played our first show it was pretty wild
2: right (laughs) it sounds like it
0: i remember it pretty pretty vividly and there was an awesome technical difficulty i bought a new amp right before and like because i convinced my parents like guys I'm playing this amazing outdoor show. I need an amazing amp, obviously. Obviously. They uh, took the bait and bought me a new amp, but I knew nothing about amps at the time. All I wanted was something big. didn't matter what it was. So we went to this used music place, and I bought this Randall 212. I remember what it looks like. I don't remember what it was. I just had to have it because it had wheels on it. This is the real thing. It's so big and heavy that it needs wheels. Yep. So I got it, and the difference between that and the shitty practice amp I had been using up until then was that this practice amp had distortion on it, Mm -hmm. and we were a, a punk band, you know? You need distortion. Of course. I didn't know that. I didn't know that that wasn't naturally what an amp sounded like, and we didn't practice before, so I brought this big old 212 to this show. We set up, time to play, and I'm like this thing sounds terrible. It doesn't even have distortion. Right. I didn't know that you needed a pedal. It was a single channel amp. I had to play a whole show with a clean amp. That's so good. I <laughs> love. was terrible.
2: Dude, there's no- There's nothing that makes me happier than like kid logic. Like yeah. what you're describing <laughs> there is so, it's so innocent and perfect because you're just like, oh, dude, if it's got wheels, like this shit rules, man.
0: Yeah, that really is why I bought the amp. I
2: remember right. it. So that's so perfect. To me it sounds like obviously in the, the trajectory of, of you playing music you you were kind of exposed to I guess for lack of a better term just like I guess independent music like at a relatively early age or how where did yeah. that come where did that come from?
0: I I've always been into music. Music has and this sounds lame and it sounds like I'm probably lying from as far back as Man. I can remember and and before because there's pictures and home videos. I've always been interested in music. Like there's not a single home video that my parents ever took where I don't have like this plastic guitar in my hand or I'm not holding a microphone, pretending to sing in front of the camera. <laughs> like it's always, always been in my head. And mm-hmm. part of that, I think, because my parents were always big music fans. They're not necessarily musicians. Like my dad knows how to play the guitar. My mom can sing. She's, you know, she's not tone deaf. Um, so it's, it was just, it, we were in a house that loved music and there was always music playing In the morning when you wake up on the weekends there's always music playing when my parents are cooking breakfast and whatever and my dad's always showing me all this music and you know, so I grew up just around music. Yeah. And that just turned me into being obsessed with music. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I hit the age of like, Okay, fuck you dad, I'm not listening to your music. I got my own music. That's when like corn, limp biscuit and Absolutely. that stuff was like huge, and that was what I was into, and that was my, that was my first time finding my own thing, and
2: <laughs> and probably the first time that like your your parents were obviously like, this is this is terrible, Alan. Like this <laughs> <Yeah>. is right.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you know, parental advisory stickers on records ruined my life because they wouldn't let me have them. Right,
2: I was going to say I, I was going to make the the jump to conclusions of the fact that they didn't allow video games in the house, and I I can almost guarantee that they would have had a problem with some of the the records that you were bringing home.
0: Definitely, definitely the case because I was obsessed with corn for years and I never owned a record or just my friends did, and I right. would, I would like record tapes of it. Um, and it's funny you say that because it makes my parents seem like they were like super stuck up and like very, very strict, but like that's not the impression I have, you know, yeah. like if I see a movie about these super strict stuck up parents. Treating their kids like they can't do anything. Like I definitely didn't have that environment. It just happens to be the couple things that we're talking about.
2: I, I apologize for interjecting myself into this, but it's like I mean I I have a four year old kid, and it's like I'm constantly like thinking about the way that you know I'm parenting him and stuff like that. But I, I think it's a matter of like what is kid defined as n- normal to you. And it's like for you, your parents probably weren't you know being uh, tyrannical in the fact that it's like you were like you're you're not getting a video game, Alan, and that's the last thing. And it's like yeah and. and they probably weren't being like, they're just like, oh, yeah, you can't buy that record. Why? It has a parental advisory. Oh, okay. That's it. So you yeah. didn't, didn't feel like it was like this overwhelming burden, even though, you know, you were having a kid angst about it, but it wasn't like this hugely formative thing in your head of just like, oh, fuck my parents. I can't bring home Life is Peachy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's funny you say that because Life is Peachy specifically was one of the first times where my mom like thought about letting me buy this album. So I bought it, but she said, you can't open it until your dad gets home from work and he approves it. Oh, Which again, the, saying that out loud makes it seem like my dad's this stickler that like, you know, if dad doesn't approve, he's going to take off his belt. And, right. you know, but, but it right. wasn't like that at all. It was just like, you know, let's just make sure your dad's cool with it. And,
2: right. Did it, and did it pass muster? Did it, did it Did it? get in the house?
0: It did not because okay. there was a song called Porno Creep on it. Right. <laughs> I was gonna and say. I remember I was like, damn, why did they have to name the song that?
2: <laughs> the, the, the the struggle of the teenage boy or girl for that matter trying to sneak you know, like get a record in the house and then it gets blown up because of a song title. Yeah. They don't yeah. even read the lyrics and you're just like, oh well, that's it.
0: <laughs> bullshit is what it is.
2: <laughs> it is bullshit. Um and so that so that as you started to uh like I said, you know, develop your own identity and and, and you know, matriculate through high school and play in bands, obviously, or play in the band. Um was it, well, one at of the those... time I was
0: pretending to play a lot of bands, me and all my friends would like put on a corn record and like, all right, you're Jonathan Davis, I'll be I'll be head, you be monkey, and we're just have right. these fake guitars and we just pretend to be in a band. You yeah, know, I did... was in fifth grade.
2: Right, right. Did your parents like? I, I mean, it, as you started to get, you know, I, I wouldn't even say more serious, but as you started to like, you know, play more local shows and stuff like that, and they started to see that your life was probably being consumed by it. Were they ever uh, like? Ooh, I don't know. This this is weird stuff that Alan's into. Like, I don't get it. Or were they generally supportive?
0: Oh, no. As far as music goes, they've always been, like, crazy supportive. It's, you know, when we were first playing shows at that age, they were the ones packing up their cars with our gear and driving us, even out of state to Connecticut and Maine and, and all kinds of places. Um, so they've always been very, very supportive. That's awesome. Once they realized that, like, it was a real thing and it wasn't just, like, a flavor of the week
2: hmm They realized you were committed to it.
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe it's because they had never seen me commit to anything. Like, you know, like I said, they had tried to get me to play sports just as an option. My dad has never been into sports. I think that's, that has passed down to me.
2: Right.
0: Uh, <laughs> right. So it's not like they were forcing me to play sports, but I think they wanted me to have the option in case it was something I did like, you know, like, like we're not a religious family at all, but we went to church. And I, I, you know, my parents tell me that they do it because you know they wanted to give the kids the option. Like we, that did speak to us, and that's where we wanted to take our life path. You know, they just always gave us a lot of options when we were kids, just to see what we were all about. And sports yeah. was definitely not it for me.
2: I, I think that's such an important point. And I'm glad. I'm glad that you mentioned that that idea of. Being in an environment in which, you know, the the whole role as a parent is obviously just to kinda like give a kid an environment to figure out what it is they care about, you know? Yeah, and like absolutely. and then obviously like like you said, once you kinda keyed into the fact that playing in bands and music was was your thing, they were just gonna like, you know, do what they could to keep fostering that as opposed to like, oh, I don't know, Alan, this seems like maybe you shouldn't play this show out of state or whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And they were always supportive Granted, they always also were screaming at me for not doing my homework and skipping class.
2: That was going to be my next question in regards to the fact, like I'm sure uh, your 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 high school studies were suffering for all the uh, the shows you might have been playing, and your headspace was probably not there.
0: Yeah, more so the headspace. I mean, we weren't this, we were only playing shows on the weekends. Well, you know, senior year actually, I missed a majority of the year touring, um, and that was some of our first full. U.S. touring I was doing was, was I was in, still a senior in high school. And, you know, my parents would make me go around to all my teachers and get, like, homework assignments to do on the road and things like that. Um, but
2: So you probably did, like, 3% of those homework assignments on the road. Honestly,
0: I don't know if I did any of it.
2: Right. Because <laughs> nothing, nothing sounds, like, uh, more unappealing than, uh, obviously, sitting on those long drives and, and you know, crunching some numbers on math homework
0: especially on your first time ever doing it. Like maybe if I was taking some college courses right now, I could find a way to find it interesting to do on the road because now that's the road is normal to me that like doing something new could be interesting. But at the time this was like, holy shit, I'm fucking traveling the country with all my best friends. I don't want to do this shit. I'm not some fucking high school kid right now. Right now I'm in a fucking rock and roll band.
2: I'm doing this. I'm living real life. Yeah.
0: So yeah. it was. It was definitely, definitely weird. But you know, before then, you're right. My headspace was not in school at all. I was. I don't know how I got away with it, but I listened to headphones through most of my classes. <laughs> you know, I would just sit there and fall asleep. School is not my thing. Right. And I, I, I like to think that it's not because I'm dumb. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but more so because you know I just. I kind of had a focus and and i cared about that focus it wasn't like i was a i I was pretending that i cared about something else and really i just wanted to go home and play video games and i didn't care about doing my homework but i was playing music like four years strong from when we started all through high school i kid you not i'm pretty sure you know obviously i'm not to a t i guess there's probably brain farting on the word um we practiced literally every single day of the week for at least running through every single one of our songs that we had a couple covers, whatever. I think I like to think that that's what made us stand out from other young bands. at The time is like, we cared about sounding really, really good.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, we weren't doing it just because we wanted to be one of those kids in a band. We didn't want to just be able to say we're in a band. We wanted to be a fucking good band. Right. So we practice and we worked fucking hard and I remember my I was in Ski Club, uh, and it went every Monday to the Mountain, and I was super psyched on it. I loved snowboarding, and I wouldn't go. Just, I signed up for it. My parents were paying for it, and I don't think they know this, but I wouldn't go because we had fucking band practice on Mondays. I'm not going to miss band practice. <laughs> Granted, we also had band practice Tuesday, Wednesday, <laughs> Thursday, and Friday, right. but no. this Monday practice was so important.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're like this. Uh, why would I do anything else? So, that, yeah. I mean, that I, I think that that's a really important point that you're making there in regards to the fact that um, even though you might not have had uh, large ambitions for the band at that point, you were just t- you were like, like you said, putting in the work. Like, you yeah, were- we
0: were, and I don't want to make it sound like we were putting in more work than other bands necessarily, or we were the important ones, but it's just. It's what we it's what we wanted to do It's what we cared about mm-hmm. D- Dan and I specifically we would be together all the time whether it would be like sitting at his parents' computer like designing t-shirts even though we <clears throat> didn't print t-shirts for probably years until years after that um, or designing album covers even though we didn't have an album or going outside and taking pictures for things that we thought would look cool as an album cover or and it was always just band related stuff always
2: right so were you uh in the way that you're describing it to me too were you kind of uh, by yeah. by default sort of the lack of a better term like business guy because it definitely always seems to fall on usually the singer's shoulders um yeah so like did, were you that guy that was like you know booking shows for for the band and like trying to you know get the name out however you could
0: yeah i guess a little bit at the time getting your name out was way less of a uh, business and strategic endeavor it was more so just literally giving people the demo right you know, and i did that I, I was the kid that would go to warp tour every summer a backpack full of cds that i burned each one and handwritten every every song title and you know yeah um and i'd hand out like 300 cds and i'd wait at the side of the stage and hand the cd to Jordan from Newfound Glory and Kenny from the starting line and and uh, Eddie from Taking back Sunday. you know it's funny because since then I have toured with all of them right. so it's pretty surreal if you think about it.
2: Hey, I know you're not going to remember this, but I, I totally punished you and handed me handed my demo CD to you
0: <laughs> and obviously now personally knowing them really well, right I have told them that
1: of course. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And they're like, and oh yeah. I, of I course, I they're like,
0: oh yeah. I don't remember that. I most likely threw it away.
2: Yeah, you were you were <laughs> probably you were probably signed to Roadside Records at that point. Oh
0: yeah, <laughs> it's funny that everyone talks about Roadside Records because for a really long time, I thought that was just something that a friend of ours' banned. one of the first tours we ever did. They came up with the joke, and ever right. since then I'm like, but that's their joke. They came up with that, totally. but that's probably not the
2: case. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I, I definitely can't recall where where me and my bandmates first started to use that, but it was definitely uh, absolutely applicable. Just yeah. and like I, I felt like it was always out there in in the vernacular. Like it just seemed to exist yeah. for years and years. But yeah, that's funny. You were like, Yo, dude, why are you ripping off my
0: friend's yeah. local
1: band? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but to speak of roadside records. I will say probably a a majority of the time that we get handed demos, we listen to them. And I don't know if it's like a little bit inside us knowing that like that was us once and we would have appreciated it. But we at least give it one spin. I'm not going to lie. 90% of the time we do it, it's god awful.
2: Right. (laughs) But, you
0: know, not necessarily because... They don't have any potential in their lives, but the thing they're doing right now is not good.
2: Yeah, not. <laughs> and you, you, maybe, they haven't maybe.
0: practiced. It's, <laughs> it's this day and age. A band, like I said, is it's so it, it's it's like people want to be in a band. Not everyone. I, I you know I don't want to generalize and say there aren't any bands that give a shit because there definitely are. But it feels like bands. Most bands of like people handing out demos on warp Tour and stuff these days it's so easy to be in a band garage band exists like recording demos is so easy it's so it's so it's such a universal thing and there's so many bands and it's just got to be so easy so these bands you don't have to be good to just do it you know you don't have to care as much it seems but
2: yeah well maybe, I think- um,
0: maybe that's just me being a bitter old man because <laughs> you know no. when I, back in my day we right. had to find someone that had like a eight track recorder Right, you know we we didn't have fucking computers and garage band, and it's like easy way to do it, like we had to fucking get out into the world and find someone that could like, oh, you know someone that yeah. has a studio like I'll we record were,
2: it, I'll record it in his living room like I don't care where does he live, yeah, okay, yeah, an exactly. and, and, yeah.
0: and our first demos, which I won't even call demos because <laughs> they're right. not real, and i I think Jake, our drummer might still have one, mm-hmm. but it was literally a karaoke machine with a microphone hanging from the drop ceiling in dan's basement at his parents house perfect uh, yeah you know that's that's how it was done
2: right well i think i i i mean i would not classify you as a bitter old man i mean i'm i'm 34 and i'm still you know involved very heavily within the the same music scene that we both exist in i, I think it's a matter of um the, the point that i always try to make it's like it's off like you said it's much easier for bands to exist now because obviously the tools are there yeah. but But I think the the main difference is the fact it's still like it still needs to take work. Like you need to put in that that, you know, I call it sweat equity where it's like you got to you have to put that in there in order to actually be, you know, a real band for lack of a better term. It's like, yeah, you can sit there and. You know, whatever, auto-tune your vocals or do whatever it is to the actual music, and you know, spend nine months recording a demo and it sounds flawless. But then yeah. you get up on stage and you're obviously atrocious. It's like that's well, yeah, you, it's because you haven't practiced. <laughs> <It's> yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, that that uh, that through line still exists. So I, I I would not classify you as a bitter old man. I think you were just. Well, you, thanks.
0: You're welcome. Sometimes I feel like one.
2: I can understand. I think it happens to anybody that is over the age of 25 that's still involved with youth pop culture. It's like, Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I guess this is how kids do it these days. But Yeah, it's strange. Um, and
0: you know, you were saying that it's so easy for these bands to spend nine months recording a demo and make it sound flawless, right? but half the time the demos I hear aren't even that. <laughs> they don't even use the tools to make something great. They that's use true. the tools to half-ass something because you know that tool is there. Okay, let's just Let's learn this song and just play it once into these microphones and record it. And there it is. It's easy to record. Right. It's harder to make it good. Mm -hmm. So they don't do that.
2: Totally. Yeah, no, it's a shortcut. Yeah, it's a very good point.
1: Check the backseat. Check the backseat. All right, come here. Check the backseat.
2: You know, in in almost every in prepping for the interview uh, with you, in almost every single instance of of people speaking to you, everyone always references the uh, oh, like you know the meteoric rise of Four Years Strong, especially in regards to the the you know sort of uh, the spotlight that was put on you after you guys's uh, first release. Mm-hmm. Um, the but I'm sure to you it was just like oh wow like that's cool people are paying attention now because you had been doing the same thing for kind of such a long period of time. So I'm sure. In some respects, it didn't feel, I guess, quick to you, or or did it? Was the fact that all of a sudden people gave a shit about you like really weird for you to grapple with?
0: No. I mean, it was fucking awesome. Right. <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah. definitely, it wasn't weird for me to grasp, no, because it was all I wanted the whole fucking time. It was amazing. But it was definitely not sudden for us. It didn't feel sudden at all. We We did plenty of U.S. tours where we were... Each, you know, taking a 20 out of our wallet to fill the gas tank to get to a show where the venue was literally boarded up because it had been closed um, or or getting to a venue and only playing to the bands and their girlfriends that were playing the local show. Like we did an entire tour where we probably played to a quarter of the amount of people that would be at one show now. Right. You right. Know?
2: <laughs> right. Cumulatively, the entire tour you played to a hundred people.
0: <laughs> yeah, if that. I mean, that would just be like that's a good tour, right? You know, so it didn't. It definitely did not seem sudden to us, and it's still. It still feels like we're still growing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, um, I definitely don't see us as like a massively successful band. Maybe that's because I always want to work to get to that next level. You know, it's not, and, and it, not even necessarily in a sense where I'm like. I always need more, you know, like I'm feeding off of it, but just like, you know, I I always want one more person to like the band, mm-hmm. you know, if we can achieve that, that's always great. So, um, when we first started gaining success, feel like we, de- I don't ever feel like we deserved it. Like finally people are appreciating us. Like it was never like that mm-hmm. or, and it also wasn't this like sudden, like, Oh my God, this is amazing. It was like, okay, cool, there's a couple more people at this show, this is fucking awesome, let's keep going, let's keep going. And there are a couple more people singing the words, and it's like, oh, wait, how did they know the words of that song? Granted, this was when the internet was first becoming cool Mm -hmm. in the music industry. That was a huge thing for our band. I don't know if we... I always talk about the internet as like a blessing and a curse, you know? Mm -hmm. It's obviously terrible for the music industry as a whole, but there's no doubt that, well, you know, I'd like to think that maybe we would have been the one that got through all the dog shit. Right. You know, the internet hadn't existed because we did work hard. But uh the internet made it so that so many more people were accessing our music and hearing it and downloading it and getting it from their friends, MySpace. And you know, it was definitely helpful for us and when we were first getting popular. Right. And ever since, you know, like you said, When we first started getting success, it was still very gradual up until I I like to look at the span of our career as like a slow increase all the way up until 2011 when released in some way, shape or form, which was um, not received well by fans or critics. I really do think up until that point, it was always just getting better. And better and better. It was always on its way up, so everything always felt so exciting. Things were never getting worse up until that point.
2: Right, right. You you do feel like everything is still gradual, even though it's like there's more you know chaos that surrounds you. You have to make more business decisions that you probably never even thought you would have to make. Yeah, but. As long as you're feeling like it's like, all right, the growth is still gradual because you always, I mean, I'm I'm sure you've witnessed this with a lot of your friends where it's like anytime I see a band, even if I obviously have no personal connection to them and I watch them just immediately hit the quote unquote scene where it's like all of a sudden they explode and then I'm just always like, gosh, it's like, I, I just get scared because it's like, dude, where are they going to go? Like there's yeah. literally nowhere to go except down and yeah. <laughs> will will those members be able to handle that blow when they're fucking 18 years old it's like no one can take that egotistical hit where it's like all of a sudden your 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 shit isn't as cool anymore it's like oh it's it's just it's scary because then it's like where's that 20 year old gonna end up like are they gonna end up a a bitter old person working at urban outfitters and it's like no one needs that in the world at all so yeah
0: we we were definitely fortunate to have mediocre success before people started hating us
2: right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, no. Um, and it, well, I, and and you brought it up, and that was going to be a question of mine too. Where it's just like you know, you can even like I said, as a person, uh, you know, on the outside, where it's like I was never truly devoted to you guys as a band, but I, I paid attention to what you were doing. And then obviously, like you said, the the you know, two thousand and eleven record, where it was you know, critically panned, and your fans were like, yeah, I don't get that record. Um,
0: was that definitely no one got
2: it. Right. right. So was that, um, you know, did you have to do obviously a lot of, uh, kind of soul searching as that cycle was going on where you, you started to, you know, witness whatever, you know, lower attendance numbers or, or, or just people, like you said, kind of pushing back on that record. But you guys obviously were like, well, that was the decision that we made. Like, where was your head at during that time? Was it pretty tough to kind of get through it?
0: It was very tough, but really, it was a combination of a lot of things. It wasn't just this record. I, I don't want to say we all hated each other, but we had spent so much fucking time together for so many years that we were just sick of being on the road together. Yeah. And there were times where we wouldn't speak to each other for not not all of us, but like there was there was a couple tours, like entire tours, where Dan and I would not directly speak to each other and unless it was like. Um, hey, can you open the door of the van? Right.
2: An exchange of information. Right. Yeah,
0: exactly. No like talking of any kind. No it got tough yeah. and, and they were the same thing with Jake and I and same thing with Joe and I. There was always there was always like one person on every tour where there's just like you couldn't handle it and and it got pretty bad. And when it was time to make that record is when we were like, Okay, all this shit is fucking stupid. This is a big moment in Four Strong history because We're very, very, very passive-aggressive when it comes to dealing with each other. Okay. We we have a a really bad habit of being
2: passive-aggressive. All right, so at the top of the show... I told you about something called QuickBooks. Now, I know finances and taxes are kind of the last thing you want to hear about when you're you know, relaxing, enjoying this beautiful interview, but trust me, it's something you need to be concerned about. At the end of the day, most of us are working for ourselves in some capacity, whether or not you have a full-time job and you do something on the side, like this podcast, for an example. You know, I make a little money off this thing and I need to put some of it aside each month because otherwise, I, I'm going to be screwed at the end of the year and I'm going to have no idea how much money I owe in taxes and all that stuff. But here's where the solution comes in. QuickBooks, self-employed, helps you figure that all out. It helps you keep track of your finances in relation to your personal side of things and the business side of things. Because in that way, come tax time, you're just like, yeah, press a few buttons, boom, bam, done. That's it. It'll tell you how much you owe in taxes. It'll tell you how much you should put aside each month. It's amazing. Not only do I use it, but the record label that I help do some consulting work for, No Sleep Records, we use it as well. It's awesome. It's great. It's in the cloud. It's so easy to use. QuickBooks Self-Employed, okay? Just go to this website, tryselfemployed.com slash words, and you will get 50% off this thing. 50%, that's half off for something that will make your life so much better. Visit tryselfemployed.com/words. 50% off. Your life will be better. Your finances will be in order. I mean, basically you'll be a millionaire after you do this. Okay? So just do it.
0: This was the first time where we all kind of spoke out and got together, the four of us, and was like, things need to fucking change. Like, we're it's time to make a new record. We need to do something. Like, we need to change this. You know, maybe us hating each other at the time and being so sick of four years strong not necessarily um, like as a whole like four years strong is what's making us go out on the road and fucking hate each other like right. this is the one thing that we all have in common that we, we we love playing in a band we love being musicians we love playing these shows we love our fans we love so many aspects of it but at the same time it's the one thing that's all making us fucking be in this band together
2: right well yeah at that at, at that point I'm sure there was that that weird uh, confluence of like well, now I feel like I have a job and I'm punching a clock in yeah. order to, yeah. The grass
0: totally. is always greener, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> totally. So, so at the time, that's when we like, it was a huge change where we're like, okay, we need to do something. We need to do something that feels exciting to us. We need to like take a risk. We need to do something. And that was when, you know it was a long long time coming up at the time but that's when we all finally made the decision to part ways with our keyboard player at the time josh um a lot of talk of why that he he was out of the band and um really it was a million reasons but we did that and then we all got together the four of us and was like we need to fucking this is it this is our lives we need to do it and love it Or we need to fucking stop. And everyone was kind of on the same page for the first time in a while, which was, yeah, let's fuck yeah, let's do this. And at the time, making this like four years strong record, it was like not exciting to us for some reason. I don't know why.
2: Uh, it, it sounds like in the, what you were describing, obviously, to the lead up of the record, because at that point, like you were saying, it, it was, you know, y- you guys in some respects were obviously going through the motions because it's not like you necessarily uh, you enjoyed aspects of touring. But as a whole, you probably weren't feeling uh, fulfilled. No, <laughs> even the though th-
0: the shows were better than ever, it wasn't as exciting as the first tours we ever did with no people at the shows. You know, there was just something off. Sure. And I think it was definitely um, being tired and hating each other mm-hmm. more so than the band itself. But we kind of took it out on that. Yeah. And and I guess we also creatively felt very stuck in a box. Absolutely. So that that you know that definitely fed the fire when it came to writing a new record. And like we personally felt like making exactly what people expected, like Rise Are Trying 2.0 or Enemy of the World 2.0 that was us selling out and because that wasn't who we were at the at that that specific moment in time that wouldn't have been sincere from us and we felt like that was just fucking wrong right and so we made this record we changed we fucking threw out the four year strong playbook and we just started from scratch we were writing songs in a completely different songwriting like strategy like everything changed Mm -hmm. and went for it and it was very exciting it was the first time that things felt exciting in a long time the whole process was really exciting we were working with a big time producer we were in this awesome fucking studio right um for the first time in a while even though like i said everything was always like gradually going up and getting better and better and better this is the first time to us that felt like okay this could be fucking it like this could be our time
2: Yeah, this is the this is the next proverbial level, so to speak.
0: Yeah, and so it was really exciting. We really wanted to do it right in our way. Like we wanted to like really, we really gave a shit. We really wanted to do something cool. Mm -hmm. And while we were writing, it totally felt like that. Like we were so excited. We would have band meetings where like these are the fucking best songs we've ever written. Right. Like we got to take this fucking seriously because you know some people were more on board. Than others, as far as like just even continuing at all, you know. Mm. So we had to sit everyone down and be like, "Who's in?" Because if you're not in, we're fucking in, and we got to figure that out. If you're not gonna do it, and that's when everyone was like, "Well, fuck yeah, things have kind of been shitty for a while, but I'm in. Let's fucking do it." Right, Right. And we were all super excited for the first time in a long time. We were so excited about the songs, but this is kind of before we had recorded. This is when we just had been doing demos and everything felt really fucking cool and then when we got into the studio and started recording it just became even more exciting these sounds that were coming out of the monitors were so next level good and we were just so excited and then the fucking record comes out and everyone is like what the fuck is this and it was just so such a bummer to, yeah. to all of us because though we should have 100% expected it because we'd made a drastic change it didn't feel that way to us going into it i think we put our blinders up and uh, and we just got we took that and got angry because we released a song called Fairweather Fan
1: <laughs> right
0: and on on that record and it's lyrically kind of just i guess about people kind of turning their backs on us when we felt like we weren't doing the same. We were able to put the song on the record because we had released the song long before the record was even finished, you know, mm-hmm. and we were still in the process of recording, and that song just kind of came out, and it got put on the album. Then people took that and was like, you're saying fuck you to us? And you know what? Fuck you. Right. And people were bummed on that, and it just like, took this whole weird turn that we were not expecting, I think it's because we weren't expecting it. That's exactly was exactly the problem we were so like the day we were like okay first songs gonna be released today i can't fucking wait for right. people to hear this and hear how much they love it and it was just like this sounds like fucking what were people saying oh it sounds like nickelback right. we're, like, we're like what the fuck like that's not what we had in our head and like i said maybe we had our blinders on a little bit but that's not what we what were doing
2: Yeah, well, it's. I mean, to me, it sounds like the 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 difficulty in, in what you guys were going through is the fact that it's like you, like you said, you were excited about the songs, you were confident in the songs, and it's like. And then to have it kind of summarily push back on your face and be like, I mean, yeah, I'm sure now you can maybe reflect on the record and be like, OK, I can see why I can Nickelback is an extreme example. But it's like I could easily see where people would be like, OK, like, you know, that's a, a I guess an aggressive active rock record, whatever that may be. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. But, and I guess in a way we wanted that, too.
2: Right. Because sure. like I said,
0: it's like we weren't in the same places in our lives we were when we wrote our last two records that everyone loved we were in a different place. We were we weren't listening to anything that sounded like that. Like we were listening to rock and roll music. I mean we all listen to drastically wide varieties of music. And I think that has always been a part of our songwriting, but this we just went off on a tangent and we wanted to make a fucking rock and roll record. We didn't want to be stuck in this like pop punk breakdown thing. Right. You know?
2: Yeah, you can, there's there's only so long that you could exist like that before like you said it doesn't it doesn't feel fulfilling to to kind of rehash that over and over. So, uh, you know, as you started to obviously have to tour the record and start to like get out there, um not so much on, on the, I guess the band psyche, but like what did it do to you personally? Like did you feel like you know, like you said were you, you know, angry and bitter? Like uh, how to, you know, I'm sure there was a full range of emotions you were going through, but um, you know, what where was your headspace at?
0: Um, it was definitely angry and bitter for sure and it led to us taking a lot of time off and us hating each other even more Mm -hmm. and us we never really broke up but there were definitely like phone conversations where dan and i were like all right fuck it i guess we're just broken up then okay bye like we were like (laughs) girlfriend and boyfriend (laughs) but we never like officially broke up that never the other members of the band probably don't even know about those conversations but yeah, I was definitely fucking bummed, really, because yeah. music and being in this band specifically was, at this point, all I knew, and I, you know, but it was also a really important time for us because it gave us a reason to kind of indulge in our personal lives, which I think was really important uh, at well, the, the time.
2: The way that you just said that, like that, gave me the the fact you can indulge in your personal lives, like that that to me makes it sound like obviously you felt prisoner. Like your personal (laughs) life should be your fucking personal life. Like that's, and that's, and I just think it's a concept that gets lost on people where it's just like, yeah, you literally like touring and being in a band. Like, yeah, it's an alternate, it's an alternate universe.
1: You're not, you're
0: devoting everything you have to the road. Right. Really? Because the music industry isn't what it was in the fucking eighties. And like uh, Our lawyer, when we first started working with him, actually said something really crazy to me. Well, it's not that crazy. It's true. But it just put things into perspective for me. He's been in the business forever. And he said, one of the first times we met, the music industry is the opposite of what it used to be. Yeah, you were touring to promote an album, but you were really making all the money on this album. That's where the money was. So you're doing these tours here and there to like really push that moneymaker. And it's completely changed to the opposite. This album you're making is just so that you have something to tour on and make a living. And it's something to promote these tours because that's the only place that the record labels and the bands and the managers are making the money is live shows. Like That's the only industry these days. And that was interesting to, for me to hear at the time and so obvious now.
2: Right, right. Yeah, you're like, okay, thanks for the advice, dude.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, because, you know, as a musician, I like to think that the music itself, like, this the shit I pour my heart and soul into when I'm making this record, like, that's the stuff that's going to live forever. This one show isn't going to live forever. Right. But this record is. So that's yeah. what the musician cares about. And yeah. really, I think deep down and at the end of the day, that's what the, the fans and the listeners care about too especially in the days of ipods and spotify and that's what you listen to every day like 99.9 percent of the times you hear this one song is listening to the album not seeing it live
1: so yeah,
2: no absolutely so how, how did you um uh, there's two last things i wanted to hit on was like i mean for one like how did you um you know as you started to kind of you know, come out of whatever anger and bitterness that you were, um, you know, experiencing because of that record cycle. Um, and like you said, as you started to be able to engage in your own life again, what did you kind of, like, I guess for lack of a better term, like find out about yourself, like, you know, what were there, were there things that kind of, I guess, balanced you out as a person where you were like, okay, I'm like, my identity isn't just like, okay, I'm Alan from four years strong. Like, yeah. it, it, did you start to kind of like discover yourself in a way?
0: I think I just started to discover things about me. I don't think myself as a whole because I think Mm I discovered myself a long time ago. And I'm what I am, what I always will be. Mm -hmm. But I definitely started to find a lot more things that I liked, um, hobbies that I would indulge in. And I'm I'm a classic, like, find something, do it, and move on in, like, a matter of fucking minutes. And I've tried every hobby there is because I'm just always interested in in finding something that – that feels the way that music has always felt to me, um, especially in that time off when music was like the furthest thing from my head and I didn't want a part of it. Not that I didn't want a part of it because I didn't ever stop loving it, but I was like, okay, well, I've been doing that for so many years. Let's try something new. I tried fucking, you know, I'll just randomly go out and buy a bunch of supplies to try to do something and then <laughs> do it for a couple of days and realize, yeah, I'm not very good at that. Okay, moving
2: on. I'm gonna make I'm gonna make radios. All right. Yeah, that didn't no. Like yet. I tried like
0: pinstriping. You know, for a while. I tried. No, what,
2: what's pinstripe? I don't even know what that pin, is.
0: Pinstriping, like it's a type of painting. Like it's on like motorcycles. Oh and,
1: yeah 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah,
0: it. and on like cars and shit. And sure, got it. There's, but there's a very specific way to do it, and it's very artistic and and really hard. <laughs> but
1: right. you know,
0: I probably spent 250 bucks one day at a craft store on all this shit. And I tried it, you know, for like a week or so. I realized I'm not very good on it. And I, I now it's literally in a bucket out in my garage right now. I haven't touched it since. Right.
1: Um,
0: mm. And I tried, I took I took luthery classes to build guitars. Okay. Um, which Dan actually has been panning out. And that is still very interesting to me because I've gotten into carpentry as a whole, as a hobby. Joe, our bass player, is full-on carpenter. He's really talented. He does it almost as full-time as he does the band maybe even more so i've kind of taken that from him and turned it into a a hobby and i'm definitely on hobby level i'm not nearly as good as him
2: (laughs) right right right
0: i was definitely finding things out about myself i was Mm -hmm. finding out that i really liked being home you know when before then and still a little bit to to this day being away from home is more comfortable and more like being at home than being at home and but i was really starting to find out that i liked you know, seeing my girlfriend every single day. We lived together at the time. And even though we lived together at the time, we probably hadn't spent more more than a month tops straight together every single day. So, you know, that was at the time, honestly, a pretty interesting period for our relationship as well. Because, I mean, we're still together. We bought a house, we're engaged, getting married in October. So I think it was a great thing for us at the time too, because we'd started to, we we didn't really fight a whole lot pre the uh, four strong break. Mm -hmm. And it felt like the perfect fucking relationship. We never fought. Things were always amazing. But I also, then we started to realize that the reason we never fought is because you didn't see each other, (laughs) we didn't, we didn't. Yeah. We didn't live together so much, even though we lived together, we were not with each other enough to like really start to get on each other's nerves about you didn't fucking clean the dishes for a week straight like this and that. And you know, that's typical. That's, Standard being living with a girlfriend or boyfriend or wife or whatever. That's part of it. You gotta getting to know all these things about each other and your lifestyles day to day. We were learning that at this time, which was so strange because we had been together for four or five years already and we were all of a sudden like what the fuck is going on? And it put a lot of stress on our relationship. Finally we got to the point where this big blowout and it finally figured itself well not figured itself out we figured it out and all of a sudden things were better than ever and that was honestly that was almost around the time that the band started kind of we didn't start doing anything yet but that was the first time when like we would start to call each other and be like hey so what
1: should you we think? do this yeah maybe yeah.
0: like like we'd get an email like oh this festival has made you an offer to play this show and that'd be the first time all of us would be like, Oh, I don't know. You maybe want to do it. It could be fun.
1: <laughs> right.
0: And you know, so my home life was getting better, but almost that just made me want everything to be better.
1: Right.
2: Did, uh, yeah. Did it, uh, did it scare you in a way? Like obviously once, uh, once you guys started to, you know, become more active for lack of a better term, um, like did it scare you that obviously like things would start to feel different at home? Cause I'm sure that there was maybe some cognizant thought in your head that that would maybe cause a, a strain in the relationship or something like that.
0: Yeah, de- it definitely was in my head, but at the same time, my fiance knows that that's my life music and this band. And we built a relationship, you know, while I was on tour for months and we wouldn't see each other. Like, like this might be a little bit too much information, but we were basically dating before we ever even kissed each other. Like we were talking on the phone every day. We knew everything about each other for like three months before we ever even like held hands. Right. You know, like we, we, it was, it was an interesting way to build this relationship. And I think even for the relationship, being on the road can be comfortable. It's a little bit different now that we own a house and we have dogs and a cat and there's yeah. more responsibility that now being away from home is like well fuck I need someone to mow the lawn and you're not home so I got to do it right so it's yeah. different in that sense but you know with actually like being able to enjoy each other being on the road can be just as comfortable as being home cuz we know that that version of our relationship through the phone and 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 really Sometimes I feel like we have better conversations when I'm on tour than when I'm at home spending every day with her, you know, (laughs) because that's what we knew. That's that was the foundation of our relationship.
2: Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. Um, uh, While this last question is is less quote unquote serious than the rest of them there. uh, I I, I have to ask where the obviously you are extremely known for your beard and that is like obviously a thing um is 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 there ever those thoughts in your head where it's just like well i got i gotta fucking keep the beard because like that's what people like know me for like is there any sort of like identity wrapped up in the facial hair and i know that sounds like a fucking ridiculous question to ask but it's like <laughs> i mean I, I, people have to like you know they do have their attachment when they are like known for whatever look that they may have and like if they divert from it it's like Oh, dude, you're a hat guy now, or it's like, oh, you're a non beard right, guy yeah. now. Like, so has there been, has there ever been a thought to to shave your shit off and be like, all right, this I am the 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 reborn Alan, or is there uh, just like, no, this is this is me. Ever since I could grow facial hair, this was me.
0: <laughs> well, before I answer the question, I have to just say I'd say almost every single interview I've ever done, yeah, this question has been the last question.
2: Ooh, interesting,
0: and I, I- wonder. If that has something to do with every interviewer knowing that it's a ridiculous question, and they have to work up the courage throughout the entire interview to finally be like, "Okay, right. yes, I gotta ask." Right. The fucking beard.
2: I, I think. And, for I'll, I'll give you I'll give you my own personal insight because I was like, okay, like uh, since I did since you and I don't have a relationship, uh, and a lot of people that I have on this show, I tend to like have been in the same room. I mean, I've been in the same room as you, but we just haven't met. So, right. I, I was like, okay. That's I, creepy. I, well, yeah, dude, We've been in the, <laughs> been to the same. I know, We've been the same shows together. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I just stared at you the whole time. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I was like, okay, when can I pepper this in here? It's like I can't. I can't lead. You can't lead with it. Ugh, no, you here.
0: can't. You know yeah. what? I, I'd be. I hats off to the person that leaves with that question.
2: Um, <laughs> yeah. But, but I, like I, I like I said, I'm trying to get deeper than just like, Oh dude, your fucking beard. Like I'm trying to like attach to the identity of, of, of the beard and you. And like, is there a cognitive thought that you put into your head where it's like, you know, cause of, of, of course I'm sure there's some days where you wake up and you're just like, dude, this shit's gone, bro. Like I'm, I'm someone new or, or like I said, there, I just think that there's something there that I'm trying to tap into.
0: Uh, I think, I think if it were something that had to do with the band specifically, then I absolutely would have shaved it at this point.
1: Right? <laughs> yeah. um, you would have shaved it. In to your be honest, years. I don't give a shit. Right. If
0: if I know this sounds that sounds awful, like I don't care about fans, but fans shouldn't fucking care about what's grown out of my face. Um, and it's it. I think, and it's all kind of we, with. In the band, the beard thing has always been like, God damn it. Why do you, people got to bring up the beards? Who cares? But I get it. We all happen to have beards. But the funny thing about that is we didn't do it as a thing. Like, people's almost, or I don't know if people do think this, but I'm always afraid that people actually think it is a gimmick or that it was, you know, when we first started, that we're like, oh, let's do this thing. We're going to grow beards. And, you know, I'd, le- I'd love to say that we were that smart about our marketing that we knew that this stupid little thing would have caught on and people would have talked about it and mentioned it in every interview we ever do for the rest of our lives but we weren't and and i feel like the biggest idiot saying this out loud because of how like how in beards are right now but like having a beard is who i have been for as long not as long as i can remember because you know i remember things when i was 10 right but
1: but you're consistent about the beard
0: since I could grow a beard, I've had a beard, yeah. and I, I, I guess I don't like to think about it much or or admit it. I guess, but when I was in high school, I actually had like really bad acne and like really bad. Oh yeah, skin. Mm-hmm. And once I could, like, and that this is gonna sound like like there's <laughs> I don't know. This is gonna sound so stupid, but honestly, when I started shaving for the first time in my life was kind of when I started to break out and things started to get bad. Right. And I saw every dermatologist, tried every over-the-counter thing, nothing ever worked. And one day, I remember it. I One day I decided, fuck it, I'm not going to wash my face anymore with any, like, fucking chemical that I'm supposed to apply to my skin in hopes that it gets better. And I j- just started rinsing my face with water every chance I could. You know, keep it clean and and, and hydrated and... Uh, but not using any soap, any chemicals, any anything, and it just. Then I I also hated the feeling of shaving, so I stopped shaving. Right. And
2: well, no, that I I appreciate that that context because it definitely um yeah it makes sense because it's uh, obviously the way we look is a deliberate choice and like as much as we would like to pretend that there isn't uh you know thought put into the way that we present ourselves because obviously we're into punk and hardcore well no like that's a reality of being a human and the way that you display yourself and you know if you wear a man bun or not like that's a decision Those are all deliberate (laughs) decisions you know
0: what i i I fear that i walk around this day and age and people are looking at me like i do have a man bun because (laughs) right because being are so popular and there's like stories on the on the internet of like people getting beard implants and like and like crazy shit and everyone has a beard and i'm just another one of those people but to be honest i don't really care because like i said it's just who i've been since i was in high school but um i'm not the only one that's like that like dan the reason he has a beard is because when he was in high school probably right around the same time his brother got leukemia and so Dan was in the hospital for like ever. And that's kind of when he started growing beard wasn't because it was cool, but because he was in the hospital so much, he could never shave.
2: Right. There's like tangible, there's tangible reasons that you got, that you yourself and obviously your bandmate can link back to the fact of why you currently exist in the uh, beard ecosystem. It's not oh, just, yeah. it's not for yeah, and then,
0: And it, it's real. And then, cause you know, when Dan's brother died and, he had to go to the funeral. He like, you know, he's told me he feels, he felt weird at the time, just like shaving and like maybe like breaking out or something weird. So he just like cleaned himself up a little bit. And that was, I know that was the first time a lot of people had seen him with a beard and he's he's just had one ever since. And that's, what's comfortable to us. It's not what's cool. It's just what we know
2: yeah no i and, and i appreciate that I, i'm and I,
0: it, because I, of that i've never had the urge to like you know what, fuck you guys i'm shaving this thing off because that's not what it is to me
2: no well that's i i appreciate you honestly answering that because yeah i i didn't want it to be cliched because like you said it's it has been asked before but i don't think to the i guess the deeper extent that i would I, at least no definitely was, not most of the time <laughs>
0: the question is
2: how do you grow such
0: an awesome beard
2: oh dude yeah kill me and, kill me and my beard.
0: answer is the same every time don't right. shave shut up
1: <laughs>
2: that's so good <laughs> well i i really appreciate you hanging out with me this has been uh, a lot of fun for me to get to know you and uh yeah it's a it's it was fun so i appreciate that
0: and no problem I'm, I, had, I had a great time myself
2: so that was alan and that was the beautiful conversation that we had i felt like i connected with him it was a, a nice uh, if i were person to person with him face to face i would have definitely given him a high five or a, a bro pound or whatever whatever it is that people do to one another these days that uh, symbolizes a kinship a friendship something like that so uh yeah thank you to alan and uh i'm fairly certain of publicist helped hook this up. Yes, yes, it was. Austin Griswold. Thank you, Austin. I appreciate it. Thanks for hooking us up. Yes, visit 100wordspodcast.com. The producer and editor of the show is Tom Richfield. He's back home safe and sound from a nice tour. And you may get a little of him in a future episode because I want to uh, get his touring perspective of what it's like going to shows in the UK and uh, never really touring over in Europe before. And so anyways, uh, you'll hear a little bit of his dulcet tones soon, which means beautiful voice. Just subscribe to the show. If you're not doing that already, you're really missing out. So until next week, please be safe, everybody.
1: The show is sponsored by BetterHelp.